Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Um, And this week, I'm going to be looking mainly at the origins of Italian fascism. And that really means that we have to go back into the 19th century and look at the process by which Italy was unified. And when I say unified, uh, I think what we have to take into account is that Perhaps um, Italy even today, apologies if there are indeed any Italian listeners, but perhaps Italy even today isn't what one would call a a unified polity, a a nation-state. For for more on arguments about what constitutes a polity or a nation-state, look at Benedict Anderson's brilliant book, Imagined Communities. Superb. Um, Italy in 1870 is geographically unified, but really... um, even on the um, eve of Mussolini's uh, rise to power, the early 1920s, still there can't be seen to be a unified sense of Italian uh, citizenship or nationhood. Um, Italians are still divided geographically. Uh, Regional identities are still more important to many Italians than a, a sense of being national citizens. And for many Italians, particularly those in the poorer south and in Sicily, they feel they have little in common with people on the other side of the country. Now, if you examine the three uh, founder figures of the Italian nation, uh, Camillo Cavour, uh, Giuseppe Garibaldi and uh, Mazzini, um, there are some clues here as to as to why this has occurred. Now... Um, if we look at Cavour first, um, the Piedmontese Prime Minister, who was one of the leading um, forces behind unification, ultimately he, he didn't seek uh, the unification of the entire Italian peninsula. That was a specific uh, romantic vision that was held by um, the, the more romantic nationalists, such as Garibaldi and Mazzini. Cavour himself was a Piedmontese expansionist, he saw the viability of a larger uh, Piedmontese nation-state, which would um, take in some of the the northern provinces of Italy and create a new, modern, industrialised state uh, linked up with new innovations such as railways uh, that would be part of the 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 European uh, club of new industrialising nations. Not dissimilar, in a way, to Bismarck, who, far from being really the the father of German unification, was really the father of Prussian expansionism that seems to result in German unification um, 
1871. So Cavour himself was not interested in the slightest in adding the impoverished southern half of Italy to the wealthy prosperous north, and he had no interest in, uh, when this finally does happen, of making any efforts to try to ameliorate the, the difference between north and south. Cavour himself um, wrote to Garibaldi and really asked him to uh, curtail his activities. Garibaldi had been immensely successful in the south, um, invading and forcing out Austrian and Austrian proxy uh, governments, and he had been immensely successful in, in leading um, revolutionary forces as a revolutionary nationalist to try to unify Italy. P uh, one of Cavour's worst nightmares is that this actually does happen. The South is liberated and then fused to the North in a combined nation-state. Um, the, the South, if it's going to be a backwater, should be a backwater on its own. I suppose one can look today to the, the problems that have been generated by taking powerhouse economies like Germany, for example, and weaker economies like Greece, and putting them under the same umbrella uh, with the same currency, and really uh, a combined political mechanism, when you've really got um, two completely different economies which have completely different needs and um, entirely different spending priorities. Anyway, that I digress. So you have a um, sense by uh, the turn of the century that whilst Italy has been ge geographically unified, there's been no sense of political unification and in large part the Catholic Church um, that was eventually forced to give up temporal power when Rome is incorporated into the new state never gives the majority Catholic population the indication that the new Italian state should have any backing or credence at all. The, the popes have a, a half-century-long sulk, in essence, until they sign an agreement with Mussolini. So there, there is no sense that the Italians are one people, that this um, political revolution has become a, a nationalist revolution that has formed national individuals, uh, a sense of national patriotism and nationalist ardour. Um, the um, proto-fascist uh, Gabriel D'Annunzio uh, was convinced of this fact and said that really something like fascism would have to come along in order to complete the process of national unification, of identifying the citizens with a strong, centralised, authoritarian uh, state. But before we look at D'Annunzio, if we skip back and look at Mazzini and look at Garibaldi, there are also some important clues there. Now, both men were um, na romantics, uh, revolutionaries, nationalists, and Bazzini particularly was from that moment in European history up to 1848, when nationalism and liberalism very much went in hand. Why did they go hand in hand? Well, because the great enemy to the nationalists of places such as Poland and Italy and Hungary and many of these countries that desired um, to have a, a national unification moment or a liberation moment were the old empires such as Austria and Russia. 
and therefore um, liberalism was a way of articulating nationalist desires by also articulating this desire for a kind of a, a limited state, a constitutional state, a, a constitutional monarch, and an end to absolutism. If you were a Pole or an Italian, you, you knew all about um, the, the, the wrongs of absolutism in the first half of the 19th century. The um, failure of the revolutions of 1848, particularly in Italy, where Pope Pius IX decides that he's not going to back the revolution, and subsequently it fails, and the Austrians manage to overthrow the, the, the revolutionary states quite easily. It signals an end to, really, the, the liberal notions of nationalism, and nationalism not as a, in a kind of a causational way, um, particularly though there is a, a limited amount of causation there, but nationalism tends in the second half of the, of the 19th century to swing in a more reactionary direction. Therefore, the, the state that would be created after a national revolution in, let's say, Italy or Poland or, or what have you, would perhaps be more uh, reactionary, more authoritarian, less liberal. And the, um, the, the Mazzinian dream of young Italy really dies um, after 1848. But many of the romantic ideas about the nation and the nation-state continue. So we now have these um, threads of um, authoritarianism and romanticism existing within um, uh, this new nationalism. And these are prime ingredients for fascism, um, which really needs the, kind of the crucible of the First World War to, re to really help form it. Um, I say form. Nash um, I always look upon fascism as being um, less of a kind of a coherent set of doctrines like Marxism and more of a kind of an umbrella of sort of related and sometimes contradictory ideas um, and, and a sort of like a, a mishmash of, uh, of more kind of notions. It's very sort of uh, an idea that's, that's, that speaks to the emotion as opposed to the intellect. So the romanticism of which I speak was, um, you know, part of the uh, European nineteenth-century romantic movement, which had tendencies towards fascism. It is unfair to say that romantics were fascists. Um, it's uh, completely illogical because obviously fascism didn't exist when rom romantic painters, writers, and poets were were writing. But many fascists do draw their inspiration from romanticism. And romanticism uh, said many things, far too many to kind of catalogue here. But in broad brushstrokes, there was a sense that the encroaching modern world was uh, quite an alienating, frightening, frightening and dangerous thing, um, as evidenced by the Industrial Revolution. And the, um, the, re the response, the logic in um, the romantic poets and uh, writers and artists of Europe was to harken back for a kind of a more a seemingly more innocent time, um, a time of a kind of more moral and spiritual purity in some sort of imagined aspect of the Middle Ages. Uh, well, not obviously, it kind of doesn't feature kind of cholera and, and European wars and things like that. And back then, one, one could find the true essence of humanity. And the Italian fascists would, of course, look back to far back beyond the Middle Ages to the classical era to ancient Rome um, and you know, to classicism itself when, uh, and, and the, the, you know, the, the, the art, the sculptors, the giganticism of, uh, of, of classicism could be seen, can obviously be seen all around Rome and in, all across Italy. 
uh, this the sculpture and the artwork of of you know the Renaissance and also of the ancient world um, e- emphasized you know masculinity and strength and a, a certain kind of, a certain notion of of kind of nobility, grace, strength, and power. It's no wonder that Hitler also embraces neoclassicism as an art form. And uh, Arno Brecher, his favourite sculptor, um, created uh, works of art such as Readiness, the, the kind of the, the naked sort of David character with a sword, and is this kind of armed colossus, um, um, perfectly sculpted as an, an image, an idealised image of masculinity. Fascism, there are lots of kind of uh, themes within both Romanticism and Fascism of masculinity in crisis and something needing to be done to arrest this kind of gradual emasculation of man um, through the modern world um, and through the the possibility of mass democracy, obviously with women getting the vote and things like that. Fascisms in Germany and Italy were both renowned for then drawing their inspiration from the past and looking into the past to find solutions to contemporary problems. But fascism is a very modernist idea as well. Fascism also has this strange duality, this strange contradiction that's never quite reconciled. Um, That's because the whole fascist ideas are never particularly well articulated. Of um, dynamism, um, of um, thrusting forward into the future. Um, If you look at some of the uh, uh, Italian futurists, um, painters, who are just creating work on the eve of World War One and thereafter, particularly those of Marinetti, there is a, a sense of... Um, the, the futurists were all fascists, by the way. Um, there is a sense of um, the, fu- the oncoming future of um, uh, technology and the modern world and the energies that it can bring driving mankind forward. And the reason why this was attractive to fascists is because a, a, um, a question uh, on, had been weighing heavily on the minds of people like D'Annunzio, really, since, um, since the 1890s, I would I imagine, that um, ultimately, what is to be done um, uh, to salvage the individual in, in the modern era? Two, tra- two threatening trends are coming. Firstly, Marxism and socialism. Um, the, the rise of, of the, the socialist movement across Europe, even long before 1917, long before the Russian Revolution, where the first communist government is installed, um, there is a, a, a sense of, of dread um, amongst the, the middle classes and the upper classes, and kind of the lower middle classes too, about the um, constant march of democratic socialist and undemocratic socialist parties across Europe. And also, to, to head off this, what uh, governments were doing bit by bit, uh, some more so than others, Britain being the leading example, and Italy probably not so much, uh, was offering the franchise, was enfranchising the working classes, giving them the vote um, to take the, um, the steam, take the strength out. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Of revolutionary tensions that were emerging across Europe. And in doing so... Uh, they hoped that they could bring the majority of their populations into the political mainstream, and by and large, it works. But this, but it works um, to the the detriment, really, of traditional elites, who find that um, they have they ultimately lose power, which is a damn sight nicer than you know losing your head in a revolution, um, and that the there is the, the rise of, of uh, new working class politics. So. Fascism um, posits this question of, well, in an age where everyone has the vote, or possibly in a future where uh, the workers rule, what is there, where do these romantic values fit in? Where does strength and um, leadership and heroism and courage and masculinity and all these things, where do they fit in? And the answer is, well, they don't. So fascism postulates this further um, further solution to, to the, the dilemmas of the modern world and this is with really if we're going to talk about the role of the individual well we only need to be talking about one individual a leader an inspired leader, heroic leader a, a, a Nietzschean superman if you will and that leader will understand things on a level that the masses just can't he will be able to um, lead um, the the ordinary man through the many perils of the modern world, the many kind of economic, social, and political problems he's just not capable of grasping, and this leader will be able to act decisively, and this leader will be warlike as well, because ultimately one of the romantic ideas that the fascists really liked was that war is the test of manhood, and that war is the thing that will help to forge this. Italian nation, and that uh, the thing that Italy has in fact lacked um, that would make it into a nation state is war. Now, there is a lot of evidence to suggest that Britain's experience of um, two world wars in the 20th century has forged a certain sense of British identity, but it's not a given that war is a kind of a healthy tonic for a, um, a, a disunified polity. And certainly in Italy's case, it definitely wasn't. Now, Italian fascism isn't necessarily um, overtly racial all the time. In fact, um, only in 1938 does uh, Italian fascism embrace anti-Semitism. And this is really as a kind of a sop to Hitler, um, because Hitler's um, German, the Nazi anti-Semitism is radicalising on the eve of war, and um, Hitler and um, Mussolini, their diplomatic ties, for reasons too lengthy to go into in this podcast, are strengthening in 1938. 
so Mussolini has to keep pace. But they, the Italians, to their credit, um, had a, a fairly impressive record of not handing over uh, Jews to the Nazis during World War II. And it's only really in 1943 when Germany officially occupies uh, a, a large portion of Italy do Jews wind up being mass transported to Auschwitz um, on, on, uh, the, on the transports. So with fascism, whilst many fascisms do embrace a, um, uh, an anti-Semitism or, or a racial aspect to them, Nazism is slightly anomalous amongst these fascisms in that it has a, um, a specific, almost quasi-scientific, quasi I say scientific with inverted commas, scientific uh, aspect to its racial argument. Many of the fascisms... Um, such as Croat fascism with the Eustache during World War II, are really a kind of a, 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 a Catholic anti-Semitism, a, a sort of like a medieval religious anti-Semitism, as opposed to a kind of a, a, a biological um, sort of quasi-Cod Darwinist uh, anti-Semitism. And uh, it, Mussolini doesn't really go in for any of that, but I think Mussolini's race crimes really are um, perpetrated against places such as Abyssinia. Um, Abyssinia uh, is invaded in 1935. Uh, Mussolini is happy to eradicate uh, the, the tribesmen with um, poison gas uh, and other such uh, horrific tools of war. Um, and whilst you know there is no overt um, racial uh, racial um, doctrine articulated, um, one might argue that the, the, the subjugation of um, poor African tribesmen is an inherently racial crime. Now, it's a, a common thing for people to write in their essays that uh, you know, uh, World War I creates fascism. And in many ways, it does. But there are, there are pitfalls with this. And, and this is one of the things I want to talk about today. Firstly, all these ideas are in common circulation before World War I. Um, they are articulated by um, people like D'Annunzio, who is the kind of the, the poet laureate of, of Italy before World War One. He is a, um, a, a celebrated figure. Um, people view some of his more fascist outpourings, not that it's not that it's called fascism at the time, but some of his more fascist outpourings as uh, curious eccentricities of an otherwise loved national treasure. So these ideas are, are already there. Secondly, um, many, most of our kind of analyses about World War One and the origins of extremism are, um, are pertain to the defeated side. Um, so you look at Germany and you know, the Treaty of Versailles and the shock defeat, stab in the back, etc., etc. That goes some way to explaining um, the appeal of Hitler's rhetoric. But Italy isn't on the defeated side. Italy is on, on the side of the victors. Um, Italy has suffered horrifically during the war. Uh, yeah, Italy has a million war dead and there's um, a number of shaming defeats such as the Battle of Caporetto and um, the, um, the struggle in the Alpines against um, uh, the Austrians. By the way, a very good book on this subject is Mark Thompson's The White War. Um, well worth reading, and that articulates many of the root, the wartime roots of fascism. Very, very good. Um, so Italy has had this horrific wartime experience, which has put almost unbearable strain on an already struggling economy, 
and unbearable social tensions on um, Italian society. And the payoff um, that the Italians hope for are the Irredentor lands, uh, places such as Dalmatia and Trieste and, and, and um, chunks of um, the Tyrolese um, Alps. But this doesn't happen. Um, Italy is very, well, in her view, very poorly rewarded at the Treaty of Versailles and doesn't get very much at all. Now, the reason why this is relevant is because, uh, once again, War was seen uh, on the far right as being this test of the nation-state, this um, unifying, forging moment for the nation-state. And what happens at the end of it? Italy is treated like an irrelevance at the Treaty of Versailles and um, really laughed out of town by Lloyd George and Clemenceau and Wilson and a variety of other um, European leaders. Um, the Italians eventually storm out in disgust and um, the big four um, become, uh, with Orlando, uh, become the big three. Uh, so Italy is not seen as being a, a, credi um, a credible player on the international scene, despite this um, heroic sacrifice um, for the nation-state. And the, uh, the way the, the fascists would later on look at Italy's war record uh, was precisely that, that it were that war had been this martyrdom, that it wasn't a case of uh, hundreds of thousands of fairly reluctant Italian soldiers who were really peasants and workers being sent to the front line. But the, the sons of Italy uh, were um, dying in huge numbers in order to create a, a better, greater Italy an imperial Italy, if you will. And this romantic view really is a kind of an, an echo of the, the world view, um, the world that perhaps people like Garibaldi wished had existed, uh, where there were these you know, keen and enthusiastic people willing to lay down their lives for Italy first and the individual second. Well, they're just, it's just fantasy. There is no sense of Italian nationhood quite like that. These period, and there are periods in time, uh, perhaps uh, Russia during World War Two, where there is this profound sense of noble martyrdom, and people do definitely engage in it and fight to the death for the um, the glory of the of the motherland. But the Italians really don't have that uh, particularly at all. So even though Italy is on the winning side, the Treaty of Versailles uh, is one of the radicalising moments for Italian fascism because everything that Italy is supposed to have uh, obtained through war, not just imperial conquests, but a strong sense of herself and a strong sense of, of patriotic pride for ordinary Italians where they can buy in and become members of this kind of national state, nation state or national community, all members of the same tribe, all rejoicing in the same victory, doesn't exist. The other product of the war is obviously communism. The Russian Revolution in 1917 has repercussions far beyond the Russian border and it radicalises anti-communism in every state in Europe. Um, there are even uh, sort of uh, anti-communist um, sort of quasi-fascist squads in places as far away as Australia in the 1920s and 30s. In 1919 and 1920, the two red years, the Biennio Rosso, um, was a, a time of acute 
fear for Italian landowners and business owners and Italy's middle class. And the um, fear, the sense that uh, something horrific was about to take place in Italy could only be underlined by looking to the north and looking to Russia and uh, seeing that there was a, a savage civil war ongoing with countless accounts of atrocities and uh, bloodshed and murder um, going on, on, on assuming in the European press on an almost daily or weekly basis. So um, fascism has a, an immense appeal after World War I in it being a, um, a clear counter to the threat of communism. And the Squadristi performed a duty that was quite similar to that performed by the mafiosi in the 19th century uh, of dealing with uh, uppity local socialists or troublemakers. Um, in uh, 19th century Sicily, the local mafiosi were the people landowners would turn to if they had a problem with peasants that were demanding higher pay rises or stepping out of line in some way. So the Squadristi perform this, this um, valuable function, um, and there are obviously, as you can see with the murder of Mattiotti later on, very strong connections between the fascists and the mob. Anyway, that's all for me for today. I hope that's been useful and um, has shown you a bit of the kind of the, the wider historical context of the, the roots of fascism. Fascism is this kind of extraordinary phenomena that springs forth. And it's got to have um, some uh, interesting and perhaps complex origins. So if you're going to be writing about this in your exam papers, if you're writing about Italian fascism, always make sure that when you're introducing a line of argument in your introduction, and if you don't know about that, go back to these podcasts and there's a whole, uh, several um, audios on lines of argument. When you are introducing a line of argument, Make sure that you're giving it this kind of contextual basis. You're showing where fascism is coming from. and um, But don't waffle on. Examiners hate that. Anyway, look forward to catching you on the next podcast. And if you are stuck for something interesting to read, uh, the new Explaining History writer, Mr Chris Kostov, sorry, Dr Chris Kostov, his uh, brilliant The Communist Century is out now for um, e-reader, Kindle and all related devices. It's absolutely fantastic, well worth dipping your nose into, and it's a brilliant uh, roundup of communism in the 20th century, made accessible for students, for enthusiasts, and people that just want to know more. So check it out on the Explaining History website, that's www.explaininghistory.com, and I'll catch you on the next podcast. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.